Hello friends. The music you just heard was called Pleasant Porridge by composer Kevin McLeod. Uh, when I hear that music, I think of late night radio DJs. My rolling thoughts go to DJ Venus Flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati and um, other fictional radio DJs. I found this track during my search for free music uh, when I was getting the podcast ready and I like the sound. Uh, the vibe felt right for this podcast and also, I wanted to get on with it rather than overthinking it and choose something, and it felt right. I just listened to it along with you, even though I'll cut it in later, for more of an interactive feeling to this one-sided conversation. I thought I would listen and then ease into it, just like you are. Welcome to this episode of the Primed for ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Toole. ADHD mentor. My goal for this podcast is to tell you things you never knew and offer new perspectives. I want you to feel validated and heard. I believe that we can learn from each other and to help each other. This is episode three and it's later than anticipated. Friends, it's been a week. I was already late for this podcast. Um, My self-imposed deadline was Wednesday, Thursday at the latest. Um, But hey, I've got a full-time job, a part-time job, clients, and I'm packing to move. I know, right? So, you know, bedtimes have been later, wake times have been later, workouts have been shorter, balls are being dropped. I'm doing my best. We're all doing our best. And I did record this on Thursday, and then while playing it back in my editing software, I discovered that the audio sporadically stopped working. There were parts where suddenly there was silence mid-sentence before picking up again. Now, I can do rudimentary editing. I can cut out sections. It's easy. You could do it too. Just open the um, (laughs) editing software. Select the duration you want to get, hit delete, easy. But I realized that this sort of editing was beyond my current skill level and there were things that needed to be finessed a little more. So here I am two days later doing it again and it'll be better, less outside noise and hey, the first one was like a rehearsal, right? And I'm glad you're here with me. There is nowhere I'd rather be, except on a beach somewhere, the ocean breeze, the cool sand beneath my feet. This is the second place I'd rather be. (laughs) So today's episode, (laughs) today's episode. Today I'm building on a topic that I've covered on other channels in the past. It's inspired by a question I often read online. And the question is this, do I have ADHD? Now, not me, Andrea, but the person asking the question about themselves. People are asking people online whether or not they, the questioner, have ADHD. I often look to Facebook groups and other forums online to see what questions people have about ADHD. Because, you know, in what I do, it really helps to know what people are asking about, what people want to know. A common theme I see is that people visit online forums to ask for health advice. People often ask advice about whether or not they have a certain condition, whether it's ADHD or something else, and they ask about specific medications. And this concerns me. Now, I'm not talking about a visit to Dr. Google. We all look up symptoms online and um, on occasion, and you know that, that is risky in itself. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about seeking specific advice from unqualified people. Now, before I go on with that, I do want to acknowledge that since I initially started sharing my thoughts on this um, online, I did come to consider my Canadian privilege. Now, that is universal health care, health care that's paid for with our taxes. We can go in, see a doctor, get a diagnosis and, pre- and a prescription, and our tax-funded doctor may or may not be an expert in ADHD. Now, more on that later. But we go in, and we fill out forms, and we do not have to shell out money immediately. Uh, prescriptions, yes. Um, and uh, health in- private health insurance. Private health insurance or additional health insurance, um, if we have it, might pay for that. But... Um, yeah, other than that, you know, we go in and we don't have to tell with that money uh, immediately. So I get that people might want to find, um, might turn to online forums for good, for free advice. They see it as a good free alternative to seeing a doctor. But it's risky. Yeah, I understand the allure of posting to forums. It helps to speak to people who have been through it, who have experienced it, who understand it, and who can identify firsthand. You get the community feel. Uh, and community and understanding are lovely. I like it too. There's somebody we said about getting that feedback from strangers on the internet. People have been through it uh, to see what's you know, worked for people, what hasn't worked for people. But people aren't medical experts and they don't know you. And I really want to stress that. People are not medical experts and they don't know you. It's risky and dangerous for a stranger on the internet to diagnose you and recommend any type of treatment. Now you might say, oh, I asked this question online, but I wasn't really asking for a diagnosis. But effectively, that's what you're doing when you're saying, oh, do I have this condition? Oh, I have these symptoms. What do you think? You know, it's kind of looking for a diagnosis, even if you don't think it is. Googling your symptoms is one kind of risk, uh, but someone diagnosing and recommending is another. There's a reason certain fields are regulated. An ADHD diagnosis starts with a basic questionnaire from your doctor, who may then refer you for uh, further testing, more comprehensive testing. That testing is more involved and often asks, asks you to remember incidents from your childhood And it might go into all sorts of things, interviewing all sorts of people in your life. Uh, It's just more involved. If you're lucky, you'll have a doctor who's an expert in ADHD. I didn't, and I felt I knew more ADHD than he did, which made me feel anxious and influenced my anxiety diagnosis. And that was the psychiatrist that my family doctor um, referred me to. And psychiatrist also... um, who fell under the universal health care. Had I spent a few thousand dollars on an appointment at an ADHD clinic, my experience would have been different. Uh, my diagnosis might have been different. I don't know. I walked into the appointment with my psychiatrist and I said, I know I have ADHD and two other conditions, and here's what I want from you. And I did not feel understood. I did not feel heard. And maybe experiences like this um, also lead to people to ask, also uh, lead people to ask strangers on the internet for medical advice. Uh, Maybe my experience might have been different, maybe yours would have under other conditions. For the rest of it, for things that uh, don't require specific 
medical advice, you know, there are other channels. Doctors are the ones who prescribe the medications, but, um, and in the context of ADHD, that's where they fit in. For the rest of it, there are coaches and there are mentors such as myself. I developed a six-pillar system for ADHD management based on what works for me. I empower people to implement these pillars in ways that are most meaningful to them, and it starts with my own assessment of people. It doesn't assess whether or not you have ADHD. It assesses what you need to manage it. Everybody is different. There is no one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, We are all lacking in certain areas, stronger in others. And being a coach mentor, I don't prescribe and I don't advise about medications. I leave that to your doctor if you have one. Whether or not you medicate, that is up to you. It really is optional. Some people might say it's um, something you need to medicate. I say it's up to you, between you and your doctor. My plan starts with a getting to know you questionnaire and discussion. And you might get that from a doctor, but you won't get that from an internet forum. My questionnaire asks about meds so that I can avoid negative interactions and recommend safe changes to your life. I use that questionnaire and our, and our discussion to create our strategy plan uh, a strategy plan. If you're in meds, I can talk about potential interactions. I might say something like, quote, studies have shown that exercising for at least 20 minutes a day does the same thing to your prefrontal cortex as stimulant medication. Uh, so talk to your doctor about reducing your dose, if that uh, is something that sounds good to you, end quote. And also, I want to go back a moment and say, I did say our strategy plan, not your strategy plan, not my strategy plan, because when I put together a plan for clients, I see it as a draft, and then I go over it with my client, and if there's anything that uh, they, they are very much against, things that they definitely won't do, we strike that, or we come to a negotiation, come to a compromise. I mean, sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do, but the best plan is one that you're willing to work. So... Those strangers whose advice you ask for, they don't know your history. When you and I work together, I ask questions and I get to know you. Now, so here I've talked about medication or prescribing, but I haven't spoken so much about diagnosis. I've long believed that the reasons to seek an ADHD diagnosis are mostly for peace of mind, to rule out other conditions and to get medicated. Uh, But for a long time, I thought that getting medication is really the only reason you absolutely need a diagnosis. I mean, just that's just the way it is. You can't get a prescription without a diagnosis from a doctor and a prescription from a doctor. More recently, I have come to see more value in ruling out other conditions. I was reminded about this last week, actually, uh, when talking to an acquaintance who as an adult in his 30s or 40s, I'm not actually sure how old he is, that's just my guess, uh, he told me that he was recently diagnosed with autism. Talking to him, you wouldn't know he was autistic. Um, He's what some would call high functioning. He said that on the assessments, he scored just high enough. And that made me think of things. Um, Ruling out other conditions, as I said, uh, and it also made me think of questionnaires again. Self-reported studies, that is, um, surveys, questionnaires, polls, etc., they're flawed. They rely on asking a participant about their feelings, attitudes, beliefs. 
memories and so forth. And when you get your assessment for ADHD, first you get just like this general overview that's asks a bunch of questions on a scale of one to five, which I actually found wasn't comprehensive enough between the uh, like the never and most frequently, I kind of felt like there were a few missing in there. And then you pass that questionnaire and then you are referred to a doctor or psychiatrist who will then give you a more comprehensive one. There are several types of biases in um, that self-reporting. But these survey assessments, they're just tools. Tools in a mental health toolbox that help us function the best way we can in the way we can. These assessments, these diagnoses, etc., they're tools that lead us towards what we need to do to feel and perform our best, whatever best is for us, to us. So this acquaintance and I had a long conversation about uh, ADHD and autism and comorbidities and the similarities between ADHD and ADSD. And it, I found it fascinating. I think his wife was a little bored. She just sat and drank her beer. And, but you know, we just went on and on. There have been times in my life when I've wondered if I'm actually on the autism spectrum instead of having ADHD. And it's not that I need a label, but frame of reference helps. Again, tools in the toolbox. You know, I've wondered, are my sensory processing issues ADHD or are they ASD? Is my love of research an ADHD thing, an ASD thing, or indicative of the fact that I'm an Enneagram 5? And do any of these questions matter? And on the topic of sensory processing issues, last night I was talking to a woman whose son has ASD, and she specifically mentioned his sensory processing issues when it comes to food and I said oh yeah I totally understand that and I shared one of my personal experiences because I have sensory processing issues I always have Uh, in this case uh, it was in the in a restaurant context and I happened to mention that as far back as I can remember I have not like soft drinks and as a child the bubbles actually hurt my tongue and I shared how, as a kid on road trips, um, when we stopped at fast food restaurants and such, we didn't have all the um, non-soft drinks op- options. So, you know, we'd get our combos, our food combos. Uh, my mother would get me something like, I don't know, C plus or whatever, and try to wait till the uh, drink went flat because the bubbles hurt my tongue. And even now, I'm not such a big fan of soft drinks. And I don't think it's so much because of the bubbles anymore, but I just never really developed the taste for it. And I have other sensory processing issues. Uh, And so, yeah, I was um, having this discussion or relating to this child with ASD. And so in terms of ADHD and my specific symptoms, I was an impulsive child. I could hyper-focus on the TV for hours not hear my mother come in, not hear her speaking to me. And there's still a little bit of that in me. I procrastinated schoolwork, but could then focus on late night sessions. I didn't care so much about consequences. I rarely worried about the future. I got spanked a lot, and in the 80s, that was more socially acceptable. 
Um, I was shy and quiet, but hyperactive. In report cards, teachers shared that I did the bare minimum. And when I got old enough to understand that, I wondered, like, what did that mean? The bare minimum. I wondered why the bare minimum wasn't enough. I mean, I did what I, what was asked. If I was expected to do, to do more, the teacher should have said so, right? Right? As an adult, I have some of the characteristics, but not, not all, that I had as a kid. But again, uh, every ADHD experience is different. Your symptoms may vary. My symptoms may vary. They might vary from day to day. In typical ADHD manner, I'm impulsive. I talk a lot. I speak quickly. I talk over people. I'm hyperactive. And as I replay these podcasts back to me, these recordings, I see that I stutter. I I mean, I know this, but I'm reminded of that. I'm reminded that I speak quickly, uh, repeat myself. And it's something I'm trying to work on. Um, But there are other typical ADHD Characteristics I don't have. I'm not a risk taker, like many with ADHD are. After the novelty of driving war off as a teenager, I stopped enjoying it because I got into minor accidents and didn't feel safe. I am. Um, <laughs> I can think of a few examples like um, hitting side mirrors off of other cars and uh, poor spatial awareness. I can think of a few examples with that. Uh, but I won't share those right now. I don't have an addictive personality. I was only ever a part-time smoker. I've had several jobs. Impo- uh, imposter syndrome held me back from one of them, and I got fired from that one because I just kept getting my own way. Um, in some roles, too many ideas, but not enough implementation has been an issue. And that is one that I see a lot in a- people with ADHD. They are full of ideas, but they don't know how to implement. And, well, imposter syndrome is also a quite popular uh, characteristic. People really, it comes down to people getting in their own way. And it's not just an ADHD thing. I think neurotypical people get in their own way, too. And that's a whole other discussion, um, the similarities and differences in terms of um, what characteristics people ascribe to ADHD, which is just, I think, human nature in general. That's a whole other discussion. My organizational skills are on point because I train myself to be organized. However, my house is a mess. I enjoy listing spreadsheets. I live by listing spreadsheets. I script, I plan, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. That's ADHD. And that calendar one seems to be so prevalent also. It's another really popular one. If I have to list like the top three characteristics, um, needing things on calendars is in the top three. Um, Along with what I was saying about too many ideas but not enough implementation. ADHD. Not defined as having a spectrum, but characteristics vary and so do their severity. I think I just said that a few moments ago, but I'm going for my notes here and here we go. Uh, the psychiatrist at my doctor appointed to me for my diagnosis, my diagnoses actually, it's plural. He was confused when I talked about the severity and how my symptoms differed from day to day. 
I mentioned ADHD flaring up and he questioned that. It was as if he's never, he had never spoken to anyone with ADHD. He didn't seem to understand that symptoms vary in intensity um, and they fluctuate day to day. They're just, no two days uh, is exactly the same, or maybe they are, but anyway, there's variance. So, you know, maybe yours are consistent or maybe they're not. I've spoken to people with ADHD who have consistent symptoms, but most people's symptoms do seem to fluctuate. Most days are a challenge for me. You know, I'm not getting up this podcast when I say, oh, well, as I covered earlier. I was typing notes for it way past my bedtime like days ago because I was in the zone and I wanted to get it done. And when I say notes, yeah, I'm basically reading off a script here, keep going off. That's just the way it is because that's how I feel most comfortable. Every day I set out my to-do list and I know that I won't, I won't get through it. Balls will be dropped. If I prioritize a freelance client, one of my other businesses will f- suffer. My partner's business won't get social media posts today. And you know what? That's fine. Like It hasn't in a few days, but I'm doing my best. My own business might not get a piece written on a specific day and again, doing my best. I used to sit down on Sundays, create and schedule posts to all my social media posts for a week and it felt great. Uh, I haven't done that in several weeks. It's just the way it is. Priority goes to my day job, my freelance client, um, my mentorship clients and then me. And I'm okay with that. You know, you gotta put your priority, I think, with what is gonna make you the most money first. And that's just the way it is, because that's what pays the rent, right? And it's a challenge. I suppose it would be for anybody. So, some people with ADHD can easily get it all done. Uh, some are fantastic multitaskers. But for me, that's just not me. I can focus on one thing, then the next. I keep my phone notifications turned off, except for you know, the special sounds that my phone makes for a few key people. I have email notifications turned off. I do what I need to do to focus on what I'm doing. I get done what I get done, then I move on to the next thing. And, you know, that's just the way life is. So, you know, we've got to go easy on ourselves the best way we can. So, is it ADHD or is it something else? Let's go back to that. That answer is a reason why doctors will go as far back in your history as they can. It's easier to diagnose children for many reasons, including access to teachers, parents, other adults. Sometimes an adult diagnosis will involve speaking to parents and others a generation older, but it's harder to find those people, and honestly, we don't necessarily want to involve them. You know, we're our own people. We're adults. We're on our own. We don't want to have to go back. And as I said earlier, self-reported studies are flawed. They're inherently biased. People cannot accurately assess themselves. And that includes from that um, initial screening to the more comprehensive surveys. And like I said, the initial screening itself is problematic. The scale is flawed, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, But we just got to do the best we can in assessing them or in uh, filling them out. Adult ADHD is a challenge to diagnose because history helps uh, and memories are short. 
inaccurate memory is an unintentional bias. You know, we always want to remember the best we can, but we just don't. And we don't have the perspective of ourselves that others do. We can't always see how we affect the world around us. Uh, the diagnosis we want can influence our answers, or the, and that could be consciously or unconsciously. I know a lot about ADHD, so unconsciously I might be answering for ADHD. Meanwhile, maybe it is something else. And I, you know, I do think that a good psychiatrist interview or assess, an assessor, um, I mean, they should be able to filter that out, but I don't think that would be perfect either. And then let's add to the complexity of assessing adults. Another thing with that is that as, as adults, many of us learn to adapt and hide our symptoms. We learn to fit in. Um, so maybe we don't have the symptoms anymore, or maybe we do, but we're just really good at hiding them. Maybe we forget we have them. Um, yeah, there's just a lot that goes on there, many layers. So only a professional evaluation can tell you if you have ADHD, and again, even that's not perfect. Who cannot tell you if you have ADHD? Strangers on the internet, not even me. We cannot tell you. We cannot diagnose you. And, you know, the beauty of coaching slash mentorship is that lifestyle techniques can work for anyone, regardless of their type of neurodiversity or lack thereof. Everyone's needs are different anyway. There are different ways of learning and processing information. There are different environmental needs. We live in a world where everyone is expected to learn the same uh, and perform their best under the same conditions, but we just don't. We're all different. Since March 2020, we've seen how being taken out of the office environment works for people. Remote work, of course, isn't new, but until the pandemic, how many of us had more than a laptop at home and had the full setup? Many, but not as many. When I started working at my current job last spring, they sent me a laptop, keyboard, mouse, USB hub, the big external monitor that I'll miss when my contract ends. I, I got the entire setup uh, as opposed to my previous uh, work from home job where it was just me and, a, me and a laptop. And it's been great. And I think that this period of time has shown us what our needs are and what we need to, um, and that we need to advocate for ourselves when we go back to the office. For me, this cycle of work from home has been better than any other, and except for missing the social aspect of being in an office, I've really enjoyed it. I like being able to control my environment. I like that I don't have people next to me in cubicles talking, uh, distracting me. I like that uh, I don't have fluorescent lights. Just this ability to control my environment has been helpful. And I joke that because I work in a basement right now and the basement is the only room in my house with air conditioning. It's just like being in an office in the summer because it's hot outside and freezing inside and I've got a sweater in the basement that I have to sometimes wear and I sit in front of the AC. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not the same thing, obviously. And on the topic of fluorescent lights, um, there have been studies that show that children who sit by windows in classrooms have better concentration than those who sit beneath those fluorescent lights. And those, that type of lighting tends to cause headaches in people too. It's just like one of those triggers for a lot of people. 
So as someone with ADHD, you have so many sources of support. If you're gonna ask questions online, be aware of who you're asking. And remember that this is just, when you ask people for their advice online, you're asking for their personal experiences and maybe what they've seen in other people, but that's limited. It's just, these are all parts of a whole. Their advice, Dr. Google advice, maybe your own doctor, just like, take it all in and come up with, um, how do I want to say this, with stories based on lots of different sources. You might notice that a lot of wellness blogs have a disclaimer that says, this information is not meant to diagnose or treat. It's not a substitution for medical advice or or a similar um, disclaimer. These disclaimers are to keep you safe and it's to cover their asses because they are accountable to you in a way. Um, When you go on, say, a Facebook forum and ask for advice, you don't have that disclaimer. So you just need to use your own discernment. And I think the discernment is actually a word maybe I should have used earlier because I think it comes down to discernment. If you have ADHD, you have a neurodevelopmental disorder that's been clinically observed for more than 200 years. You deserve some support for it. Overwhelming scientific evidence has led all major medical associations and government health agencies to recognize ADHD as a real medical disorder. If you feel like your ADHD is detrimental to your life, seek out that support ASAP. Listening to this podcast is one step or it's one one tool, one piece of research, I suppose, I could, is a way of saying it. Talk to a doctor if you want. Consider cognitive behavioral therapy or a psychotherapist who specializes in ADHD. Join my mailing list to find out when my group programs start. Book a free Q&A session with me to see if working with me is right for you. Maybe I'm the support you need, maybe I'm not. My website, ADHDprime.com. And That will be in the show notes. I developed my coaching program based on my own journey with ADHD. I created the six pillar system based on how I've managed my own ADHD for as long as I can remember, long before I knew what ADHD was. And I was just adapting to the outside world and making myself look normal to the outside world. Maybe you need a doctor and a coach. So that's what I have to say about asking strangers on the internet for medical advice and about ADHD. And I will add this. It's estimated that roughly 5% of American adults um, have been diagnosed with ADHD. I once heard that this represents 16 million Americans. The number of adults with ADHD as reported um, is 4% worldwide, according to the Center for ADHD Awareness Canada. 80% of children maintain their diagnosis into adolescence, and at least 60% remain impaired by symptoms into adulthood. Now consider those words, 60% remain impaired by symptoms. So you might have symptoms that don't specifically impair you. 
The Center for ADHD Awareness Canada, C-A-D-D-A-C, says that ADHD remains underrecognized and underdiagnosed, even though it is the most treatable psychiatric disorder in Canada, and I would think the U.S., um, as the numbers tend to be um, relatable. That indicates that millions of Americans, or sorry, millions of adults, uh, even worldwide, are in need of support and guidance. And that means that if you have ADHD, you are far from alone. And that's all I have to say today. So, if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, or give whatever positive feedback that your podcast app allows. So subscribe and share and visit my website, ADHDprime.com. And if you want to contact me directly, my email is andrea at ADHDprime.com. And that's it. Until next time. I've got ya. Thank you.